WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. Entrepreneur, author, and financial consultant Mark Bernstein helps high-performing entrepreneurial business owners create a vision for the future and follow through on their goals and intentions. Ange Honorato is a business growth strategist who blends psychology and business together to create conscious leaders and business owners who impact the world. Founders Forum is a radio show podcast sharing the real stories behind entrepreneurship as founders discover more about themselves while providing valuable lessons and some fun and entertainment for you. Now, here's Mark and Ange. Good morning, America. Good morning, Philadelphia. It's another beautiful day in Philadelphia. We've had a lot of those, Ange, lately when we we've, come we've been here. We've been blessed. Been very lucky. It's a really wonderful fall, almost fall day. It's not quite quite fall. Don't know when you'll be listening to this as a podcast. It could be morning, evening, night, but we're morning in Philadelphia on a Wednesday, live in the studio on WWDB Radio in Philadelphia. And we've got a great guest today, Kevin Gottlieb, and of course, my co-host, Ange Honorado. And Ange, I know you have some thoughts about thinking on the way in here today as a discussion to start out our morning. So what's on your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the whole theme of our, our show here is talking to, to founders and and leaders that make an impact. And, uh, you know, we're talking, I shared with you offline that um, recently I had a family member, my sister had a crew of about 80 people that she was in charge of feeding at this very large event. And less than four hours before the event, the caterer called and just said, no, we're not going to do this. It's too big of a lift. We're not going to, we're not going to do it. So obviously panic ensues. And so she contacts me and I thought right away, I've got a contact that owns a very large restaurant group. And so I thought, well, I don't know, I'll just lob it out and see what they might be able to do. And the difference in her response from the original caterer was, oh, okay, 80 people, 30 minutes away delivery and um, different dietary restrictions. No problem. We got you. And just like that, they showed up and, you know, problem averted. And what got me and what made me really think was, what is the problem that we solve, whether you're a business owner, a leader of any sort, instead of just saying, you know, what are your features and benefits and and what do you do? It's, I think the the leaders and the companies that actually show the problems that they solve, they're the ones that get the loyal customers and really make an impact. So yeah, I was thinking about that driving in and I thought it would be a good entree for our, our conversation today. I have a quick, funny story about that. Now that I hear that story again, it reminded me of something. We try to keep things light here on Founders Forum. So I was 16 years old because I know I was driving and I was at my then girlfriend's house and I got a call saying from the singer in my band, because I had a band, saying, hey, I'm doing maintenance at this church, and the band didn't show up. They were in a car crash, and they need a band. Can we get the band together? Now, we didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't have text messages. Looking back, I have no idea how we did it. But on short notice, we got the whole band together. We ran out there. So between he and I, we solved the problem. But we created another one because by the time we got there, everybody was very drunk, especially the bride of the father who was really upset because he was paying the band. And all he wanted to know was, do we play daddy's little girl? And we didn't. And he and our singer, who was a, a blessed memory, good friend of mine, but a, a, um, a, a stubborn guy got into a fight with the bride's father. 
So I had to come and break up the fight. And after that, we learned daddy's little girl. So we never had that problem again. But, and but, you probably never not, you probably never forgot that, right. that song, right? So better late yeah. than never. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, yeah. you have any thoughts on that, on the little problems that come up in business? I imagine you have a few. Listen, we have problems that come up every day, um, constantly because of the nature of what I do. I'm in retail. We're constantly getting phone calls from our customers where they need things quickly. They forgot to order it, and we have to bail them out. Um, yeah, so, so just to clarify, it's a good place to introduce you. You're really, you're, when you say you're in retail, you're not in retail, but you, you're in the retail business. You sell to retail, correct? Right. We're, we're in the store display business, and we service retail. So Kevin is the founder and owner of KRG Enterprises in Northeast Philadelphia, really an interesting company. He's got over 100 employees. He's got a big um, uh, manufacturing facility and uh, storage facility in Northeast Philadelphia. And Kevin, you've got a fascinating story about how you came to be in that business. So why don't I turn it over to you? Let's hear that story. Well, you know, growing up, I had a very strong mother influence. Uh, My mom was quite the businesswoman. She was in one of the first cabinet refacing businesses in, in the area. It was called Cabinet Magic. So I'm 13 years old. She's in business. That's remarkable in itself, by the way. Yeah, I, she fell That's into it. That's a whole other show right there, I think. Yeah. She fell into it because she was so good in sales. She started out in sales with this company that they couldn't afford to lose her, so they offered her a partnership. So I end up working with all of her men, you know, all the guys on the street. I'm in kitchens. I'm learning how to use tools, and I'm really enjoying it. So that was a early on big influence. Fast forward, I'm in college, Tulane University, and I'm in the pre-med program there. I'm doing okay, but I'm not setting the world on fire. I'm not even really sure if I want to be a doctor. I just know that my Jewish mom said, you know, you should be a doctor. I thought, great, why not? Doctors are pretty cool, but it's not what I wanted to be. I actually really loved making cabinets. So I don't know how deep you want me to get into this story, guys, but stop me anytime you want. I keep going. You're doing great. I want to hear how you, how you came from that business to your business today. Ah, okay. So I decided that I was going to make kitchen cabinet doors for my mom. I told her I'm not going to go to graduate school. I'm going to open up a business. And I think she cried that night because she was very upset. She didn't think it would be a good life. So I went out and I rented about 1,800 square feet. I found a guy who knew how to build cabinets. I borrowed some money from my dad and bought a table saw, some hand routers, some drills, a drill press. I built tables, got everything neat and organized, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm open for business. I didn't have anything to do, but I was open for business. I didn't have any real customers. I had my mom. Hmm. She sold some kitchens. She gave me an order for some kitchen cabinet doors. I made them. That's great. So somewhere along the line, that turned into, as you mentioned, what you do today is display pieces for retail, many large retailers, I might add, and things like that. How did it evolve from kitchen cabinets to the retail side? Well, so... I started to learn how to make 
uh, bedroom furniture, wall units. I made some connections with some decorators. I started doing work with them. And that's what I did for about the next three, four, five years. And then I met a very eccentric older man who came in one day. He knew that I was doing some work through a decorator for his his yacht. And he decided to come in and see the work that I was doing, looked at my little factory, and uh, asked if I would like to do work for him. I didn't even know who he was. So I just said, sure, I'll do work for anybody. And what was that work? That was a large store fixture group in the the, uh, King of Prussia area. So I started building... Outside of Philadelphia. For outside of Philadelphia. Yep. King of Prussia, just outside. So I started building for this, for this group. They would give me work and I would do it. They would ask me if I could handle a larger job and I would rent space. And that was retail display at that All point? retail display. Yep. All retail. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but I've, we've talked a little bit about this. I think that was, that might, we're talking about problem solving today as our theme. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the same. Didn't you run into a problem with that down the road and an obstacle you had to overcome? Talking about with that one group? Yes. <clears throat> well, I did. But let me explain first of all. Sure. I did very well with this group and they did very well with me. Yep. It got to a point where they were my customer, practically my only customer. Mm. And, um, well, they started to leverage that a little bit. And there was one opportunity that I had with another group that I decided that I would, I would do the work for them. Well, that didn't go over so well. When the group that I was doing so much work with knew that I was going to work for another group, they threatened me. They told me if I did work for the other group that they were going to uh, stop giving me purchase orders and they would be done with me. This was Christmas Eve, by the way. Pretty dramatic. Yeah, I believe it was right around the year 1998, 99, Christmas Eve. And instead of panicking, I kind of got angry. And I wrote them a certified letter telling them to get anything they owned out of my warehouse, and I would give them 30 days to do that. They have effectively fired me. And I was going to move on without them. Hmm. So that was a bold move. I don't know quite yet what happened. Well, I know what happened. I know you have a successful business, but I don't know the end of that story yet. But it's a bold move. Well, it was a little scary because they were bluffing and they called me back to resolve this issue. But the issue became unresolvable. So we went our separate ways. And my plant practically shut down. We didn't have anything to cut. We didn't have anything to really work on. Mm. It was pretty silent. However, the other opportunity started to come through. And that particular year, with the other opportunity I had and other opportunities that came my way, we doubled our sales before the end of that year. I was just going to say, it's not just about being, um, having, it, it is bold, but I also think it's it's being true and authentic to 
you know, core values of what you started the business from, you know, where it came from. Principled. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You know, and I think that's a great lesson for any, any entrepreneur and really any leader, you know, that you can follow the money, but then you become a slave to all of that versus truly and authentically, you know, building a company with a, with a legacy and a culture that people want to be a part of. And we'll, we'll get into that more because I love that part, but great story. What's interesting is my brother-in-law who we work together, he was very afraid, and he said, Kev, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, Gar, this is not the end. This is the beginning. And it, it came true. That's leadership. That's really great leadership, whether, yeah. whether you knew that's what you were doing or not at that time, but I'm sure Listen, you can look back on it and appreciate that. I was totally empowered, and I was very staunch in how I felt. I got to be honest with you, though, two weeks later, I started to be a little bit afraid. (laughs) The hindsight (laughs) window kicks in. Yeah, when everything stopped, (laughs) I was kind of scared. Listen, I've had a couple times where I've jumped off a ledge in my career, in my businesses, and and I know know exactly what that feels like. And I know how you look back and say, what did I just do? Yeah, it was a true pivotal point in my life. So, and there's another underlying theme here. You were concerned all along that you had you were beholden to one customer, and obviously after uh, that you were diversified. See, there's a lesson to be learned from that. However, you got to build your business any way you can. Sure. And if building it is with one customer, okay, build it with that one customer, but be very weary that you could be very hurt someday unless you diversify. But at that moment that you made the decision to essentially fire them. No, no, no. They fired me. Well. They fired me, well, and I just a, said, okay. A, after you said you, the you stuff out the of bluff. my warehouse. Yeah, you they, called they, the real yeah, they, they just wanted to. They didn't fire me. They were trying to muscle me. Right. So we're going to. I know there's more to that story yeah. that we'll get to. But yeah. at the moment that you decided, I'm okay with this. You know, we're looking to the future, as you said to your brother-in-law. I'm sure you thought, well, the silver lining will be when I build this thing, I'm not just going to be beholden to a group like that anymore. That's correct. Right? So that's that that to me was the lesson that like cuz you knew it was bothering you mentioned that before that we're all dependent on one and we, you know, you and I are in a group of manufacturers, there's other manufacturers and I've known many manufacturers that are beholden to one major customer when that dries up, they're in a lot of trouble. And I think on some level, you knew that, and you saw that as an opportunity to move forward, which I think is amazing. You know, It was an opportunity. I saw it as an opportunity. But again, when things start to, to go a little wrong, you start to question your decision. But never really question it. When you feel that strong about something, you have to move forward. Well, we have to take a short break, and in the – but. Uh, I know there's a little bit of ending to that story about the one customer, so we want to get back to that after the break, and then we've got some other interesting topics to talk to you about. So with that, let's take a short break, and we'll see you in 60 seconds. Looking to take your business to the next level with a brick-and-mortar expansion? Whether it's a nationwide rollout or the next growth phase, finding a partner with the expertise to match your ambitions is crucial. Your search ends with KRG Enterprises. Since 1984, KRG Enterprises has been setting industry standards in the design, value engineering, and fabrication of custom millwork, store fixtures, and displays. With four decades of expertise spanning various industries, from retail to health and wellness, and food and beverage to commercial spaces, 
prices, we've consistently delivered fixtures that blend aesthetics, versatility, quality, and durability. Whether you need a checkout counter, shelving unit, table display, wall system, or more, our fixtures are designed to enhance and cater to your business needs. With locations in Philadelphia and Tulsa, KRG Enterprises is your dedicated partner, ready to turn your vision into reality with turnkey solutions. Our seasoned team excels in precision and excellence, managing all aspects of your project, allowing you to focus on your business. We're committed to ensuring on-budget and on-time delivery without compromise on quality. Ready to begin your project? Visit us at krgenterprises.com and reach out to our team to get started. We are back on Founders Forum with our guest today, Kevin Gottlieb of KRG Industries, telling his story. And Kevin, it's fascinating so far. I just love the way that your business was created almost out of nothing that became a passion, that became like a real business. And um, the story, as I mentioned, with the one customer is not over. So let's talk about what happened after that. Right. Okay. Well, just in case... uh people are indeed listening to this. It's KRG Enterprises. I'm so sorry. I mean, Industries was a thought, but at the end, it was sorry about Enterprises. That. It's okay. Inc. KRG Inc. Enterprises, that's, Inc. That's correct. That's uh, correct. My mistake. Sorry about no that. No problem. Go ahead. Okay. Let's go. So you wanted me to follow up with what happened later? Yes. Okay. So we did go our separate ways, and I flourished, and I really don't know how they were doing, but I did get a phone call from the principal about two years later asking me if I would consider doing work for them again. And my reply was, again, you might think it would be something different, but my reply was, of course, I never wanted to stop in the first place. So we became working partners again, and that lasted a very, very long time. Mm. Up until about a few years ago, um, when they no longer really had a need for my type of group because most of their most of their uh, store displays started to come in from overseas. So, so happy, happy ending to that story. So in the end, your really adherence to your principles, to your vision, to your, and your, um, the boldness of your move turned out to really, I mean, they probably had a lot of respect for you after you did that. They did. And I think the moral to the story is in business, we kind of all need each other. Right. You know, so if you have a good partner, I wouldn't try and strong arm. I w- I'd make sure that that everything was you know good for each other. You know, deals have to be good for both sides. Not and, much and happens today an, without collaboration was all I was going to say. Right. And I, I apologize for jumping in, Mark, but I think no, we had go, the same the same thought almost at the same yeah. time, which to me I think it's collaboration, but it's also transparency and communication, right? So if something isn't going right on some on either end, Rather than trying to avoid it or dodge it, just have a sit down, have the conversation. You right. know, a couple, two, three months ago, <clears> I had a similar situation with a key client and I walked into a meeting thinking we were talking about one thing that was on the agenda and what came out of that meeting was a complete, you know, pull the rug out because there was no conversation where we could have solved the problem together and it ended up just not going that direction. So I, I think it's really important to to note that. Just one thing I was thinking about as we're talking about this is Culture has changed because back in the 80s, 90s, people did things like that all the time, like played hardball, things like that. And I think the general culture, your situation is a little exceptional, but today I think it's a lot more um, 
people are more open to conversation and collaboration and working things out rather than just standing on a high horse and making those kind of moves without really sitting down at the table and talking. Absolutely. And I, I think it's important because it's kind of hard to, you know, it, it, Kevin, you're talking about, it takes a long time to create those trusting relationships, oh, right? So just does. taking a strong arm approach doesn't tend to, as it did in your case, it kind of puts the hackles up versus trying to find a solution. So also, this is an area where technology can help because today there's no reason to have to send a certified letter or to, you know, just get a phone call on Christmas Eve you can, there's all kinds of ways to do that. You could be a detailed email. You can have a Zoom call. You can have, um, you know, there's ways to collaborate that are that are much easier today with, with technology, which, right. which, which is a help. Um, so, Ange, how about I think you would probably like to talk about company culture and the employees at Kevin's company. Yeah, well, I think it's a great segue. One thing you mentioned at the at the after the break here, Kevin, you said you know that relationship lasted a period of time until their displays started coming from overseas. So, so my question is really almost a two part question now, which is, how have you seen the needs internally as you've built your company, and in terms of what has changed from the needs of say your workforce? What's attracting people to come to work for you? What keeps them there? Is it the same or different from 20 years ago to today? And then how does that also, I would imagine the competition that you have coming in from overseas and how does that affect the culture too? Well, we had to partner with the competition coming from overseas. So we do a lot of manufacturing. We have 156,000 square feet in the Philadelphia area and we manufacture with a complete setup. However, we supplement a lot of what we do with overseas manufacturing, we have to. It's just, you know, things are price-driven today. And either you get with the program or you go out of business. So the combination has been very successful. So we haven't lost any jobs at KRG. We keep adding people. But we keep a lot of people overseas employed also. It's just the way things work now. So to to uh, Angie's question, why do people want to want to come work for KRG? And from what I understand, I think you have pretty good longevity. Um, why do they stay there? Well, we have a lot of great people that have been with me for over thirty years now. They're starting to retire, which is upsetting me because you can never replace that kind of knowledge. I think a lot of our culture in the early days came from the fact that I would always be out there working with them. I mean, I was not a sit-in-the-office kind of boss. I was down on the floor. You could walk in and, and anybody could walk in and they would look at me and ask me a question. They would have no idea that I owned the company. They just thought that I was the guy running the saw or I was the guy in assembly or I was the guy sweeping the floor. The employees didn't even really understand. I've had some new guys come in that before I met them, they had no idea who this guy was wor- working on the floor. <laughs> you were the undercover boss. I was before like the there undercover, was an undercover boss. boss. And that, that, <laughs> that in itself gave us a tremendous amount of camaraderie. We would be hooping and hollering at each other all day long, mm. making jokes. It was a very nice environment. So obviously you're not doing that today. How do, how do you still maintain that kind of culture without you being in that position today? So I, I hired a, a terrific guy uh, um, to run the company. And you know, as I'm getting older, I, I can't really be on the shop floor working as much as I used to. I don't want to. I want to diversify my interest a little bit more. So I hired someone to run my company, and he's a culture guy. 
you know. He he does a, a quarterly magazine for the company, and he calls it the uh, KRG Assembly. And shout-outs to people, stories about our employees. Every quarter we run a company event uh, where there's even a dunk tank. <laughs> and I was, you know, unfortunately I was part of that dunk tank. But the so guys you were the undercover and the submerged boss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a, the submerged, <laughs> submerged boss. Guy. That's a good reality show. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, we do our best. We pay well. We give a full benefit package, um, open door policy. Is your CEO, is he is he on the shop floor? Does he get Very out Very often. Yeah, yeah he's so on the shop floor. So you've transferred that culture to him in a sense. Yeah, I really have. Yeah, that's and great. he has taken it. I have become uh, a bit more... Uh, less significant than I was two years ago. The questions aren't coming to me any longer. They're going to him. He's doing a fabulous job. Which, listen, and I know you've done that successfully, and in my field of financial planning and business succession and things I do with business owners, that's the goal, you know, to make yourself less significant and have a self-managed company, which is your – it sounds like you're getting there if you're not there already. No, which I, is, I which, am there, yeah, and I, I can't amazing. believe it because two years ago – I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't take it anymore. I thought about selling, not because I wanted to, but because I just needed to regain my life. Listen, you and I have only met maybe a year and a half ago. And at that point, I know that was of concern to you. Sure. You hadn't solved that issue yet. So. Well, what happened was the company grew and um, I probably need, I needed help probably 10 years ago and I just never reached out for the help. I just kept trying to run it myself. But you've done it. Boy, time is flying fast as it always does. We only have a couple of minutes left. Um, so let's jump to real quick. Uh, you know, we do a we, closing round. We do kind of fire shot questions. Your favorite music, Kevin. You know, that's a subject here to me. What, what, what do you like to listen to? Yeah, well, I'm kind of boring that way, and my wife will get a big kick out of this. But I, I, I have switched over to the classics. I just I just love the piano. I love piano concertos. I just I'm a big fan. Well, I completely get that. I studied classical music in college. I've been a rock and roller for many years, but when I really want my mind quieted or relaxed or music to think by, I go with classical music now too. So I so I get that. So yeah. I, I really understand that. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you something offhand about my recording engineer who was just involved in a real fascinating recording in Ireland of Vivaldi's Four Seasons, which I'll tell you about uh, later. Um, in addition to that, um, lessons you've learned or your legacy. What would you like to see your legacy be? Because I know that's something you've started to think uh, about. My legacy. That's some pretty big thinking. I honestly, I'd like to simplify my legacy. And I just, I my legacy is I just want my kids to remember how important they are to me and any sacrifice that I made was so that the family would have what they needed to have. I worked very hard, you know, in the early stage of the business, right up until five years ago, I just worked and I wasn't around a lot. I tried to be there for my kids all the time. So my only legacy is that I want my children and my grandchildren to remember me <clears throat> as a good father and a good grandfather. Well said. I, th you know, that's. I don't, I don't care about the other stuff. I don't think. I don't anyway. think your 
descendants could ask for anything more than that, to be honest. So it's a, it's a great thought ending, in a, and we have to close our show today at Founders Forum. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kevin Gottlieb of KRG Enterprises, Enterprise. Inc. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Kevin, and thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll see you again next week on Founders Forum. We hope you enjoyed